G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Without a doubt, one of the most significant developments in the public profile of Christianity in recent years happened when Australia's very own Ken Ham opened his life-size reconstruction of Noah's Ark in the United States. Now, you might say it's like a theme park of biblical proportions. It's become a global tourist attraction, stocked with animatronic, lifelike models of all sorts of creatures, including dinosaurs. For Ken Ham, a life-size Disney-level version of Noah's Ark was a way to reach the general public in a bigger way. So we're talking big today, doing things in a bigger way. Ken Ham has become one of the most significant Christian leaders on the planet. He's also the author of up to 60 books. He's debated the best minds who stand on the other side when it comes to this evolution versus creation debate, evolutionists and atheists. Twice he debated television's science star Bill Nye, the science guy, And Ken Ham firmly believes he won. And to prove it, Ken Ham sells the videos in his museum's gift shop. It is once again our pleasure to welcome Ken Ham back to his home down under. A special welcome to you, Ken Ham. Hey, hi Neil, great to be with you again. Ken, uh, welcome back to Australia. This is your stamping ground. Uh, we'll probably pick up something of a US accent as you continue oh, this today. You... I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, you know the song. I still call Australia home. <laughs> you you listen to that every now and then. It's a, like a, every night. You know, no? I think my, every time my wife hears it, I think I see tears running down her cheeks. But, but we know we're where the Lord called us to be anyway. So. Uh, well, I'm sure it is nice to be able to come home, uh, connecting with family, uh, mm-hmm. connecting with old friends, and uh, no doubt. Uh, when you have an opportunity to speak, as you will this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, you've also uh, created opportunity for people who've been supporters over many years uh, to get the latest on the updates and the, the developments right. that have been happening. Yeah, and uh, in fact, uh, our Answers in Genesis ministry, we now have a full-time worker here in Australia, Josh Williamson, and we have a bookstore actually here, and all of our resources that haven't been available for a long time in this country are now available over here. So. Uh, I'm thrilled to be able to be here, and this uh, yeah, this coming weekend I'm going to be speaking up at Budrum at uh, Life Point Baptist Church, and then Grace Bible Church in Holland Park West on Sunday night, and dealing with the the relevance of Genesis, and really it's, it's talking about uh, what's happened in our culture uh, that uh, has resulted in the secularization of our culture and exodus from the church. You know, it's interesting being over here in a, in, a, in Australia, it. Uh, because we live in America, but it's like coming to a little America uh, because the same sort of things are happening here in regard to the gender issue in the schools, in regard to conservatives not being allowed to speak in universities and all the same sorts of things that we see happening in America are happening throughout the whole Western world. And it really comes comes down to the fact that the church has not impacted the culture, I believe, 
like it should have because the culture has impacted the church. And, of course, there are a lot of dimensions, but the one that you major on is this whole issue, creation and evolution, how that has permeated into our education curriculums. It's shaped children in a different way. It's turned them away from appreciation of a loving God and, of course, a just God and uh, the rule of law, all sorts of things like that. And people have become very self-centered. And this would be part of what this whole secularization would be about, uh, a centering on self rather than an acknowledgement of God. Well, you know, what you just said then uh, is basically quoting Genesis 3 because the temptation uh, to Eve and to Adam was, you know, did God really say, in other words, there's no absolute authority, you don't have to trust God's word, and you can become as God. In other words, you can be your own God. And it's so, it's whatever I want and whatever I want to do. And I make my own rules and laws. And see, when you take generations of kids through an education system and you throw God out, the Bible out, uh, you're not throwing religion out. You're throwing Christianity out. And then you teach them that all life resulted by natural processes and you're just an animal in this, you know, survival of the fittest or whatever. Then who decides what's right and wrong? Nobody owns me. I own myself. I'm my own God. I can do whatever I want to do. And, you know, the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25, when they had no king to tell them what to do, no absolute authority, they all did what was right in their own eyes. There's an apt description of what's happening in our culture today. And I imagine that when you talk to families, uh, encouraging parents about the way they raise their children uh, to not neglect uh, this understanding of God, his word, the Bible, and, of course, an understanding of creation. Because when we talk about a secularizing of society, sometimes we're talking about the ideologies that drive the governments who are making our laws. And, of course, we're all influenced by those. And so as a family, and if you're concerned about the next generation, you have to be concerned about taking responsibility back because the government wants to take that responsibility and shape your children in a secular way. But as parents, we have a deeper responsibility before God. Oh, we certainly do. And, uh, you know, Scripture warns us as parents, you know, that we're to pass on that spiritual legacy to the next generation and we're to train them uh, in the things of the Lord. And one of the things that I really challenge people about is the fact that I think a, a lot of people, even in, in the church, look on the Bible as more a guidebook to like life or it's a book of, you know, moral things, spiritual things, relationships. It's important to understand the Bible is not just a guidebook to life. It is a revelation from God who knows everything, and he's given us the key information we need to be able to have the right understanding of this world. In other words, the Bible is really the foundation for our worldview. It's not something you add to your worldview. That's where our worldview comes from. Take, for instance, the gay marriage issue. I mean, that's been a big issue here in Australia, as it has been in America as well. You know, and, and there are many Christians that say, well, how do you deal with that? Well, for a start, marriage is a God-ordained institution. In Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read that he which made the beginning made the male and female, which is Genesis one twenty-seven, and then uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and there'll be one flesh, which is Genesis 2.24. So Jesus is saying the history in Genesis that God made man, male and female, he made man from dust, made woman from his side, which in Genesis 2.24 it says, therefore this is the reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and there'll be one flesh. This is the reason for marriage. In other words, marriage comes from the history in Genesis. In fact, all of our doctrines are based in that history. And if we want our kids to understand 
what we believe as Christians, why we believe what we do, why there's actually biologically male and female, because God created them that way, why marriage is a man and a woman, because God created marriage, not the prime minister, not the Supreme Court justices in in the United States. They didn't invent marriage. It's God who invented marriage. When it comes to the abortion issue, hey, humans are made in the image of God. We're different to the animals. Animals aren't made in the image of God. At fertilization, you have a unique combination of information different to the mother and the father, but it came from the mother and the father, and you're made in the image of God, so abortion is killing a human being. In other words, if we don't teach our children a worldview that starts with God's word, founded in Genesis 1 to 11, which is the history that's foundational to all doctrines and the gospel, then we're not going to raise up generations who know what they believe, know why they believe what they do, and can impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people might feel, because of this influence that comes from a secularized society, that when we come to those Bible stories, that they're like benign little fairy tales. And so we've moved on, because we're now modern people, and we don't have to teach our children those sorts of stories, because there are other stories that are being written by people who are enlightened, and people who think they know all sorts of new things for a 21st century uh, population. But of course, these stories uh, that we read of in the scriptures uh, are so important for forming those principles in us of who God is, of how we are as uh, individuals and uh, the way that we relate to him. Now, Ken, let me just ask you about doing things bigger because we do little stories uh, but you've taken the little stories and you've made it a big story because I, I mentioned in the introduction there we'll talk about doing things bigger. Well, it's our privilege today uh, to be talking to you because uh, there's very few Christian ministers on the planet who've done things as big as you do. So uh, so when we talk about doing things bigger, we've got to get bigger than the little stories and we've got to take this message to the world. Uh, you're here and you've, uh, you've actually demonstrated that that is something we ought to do. And uh, I wonder whether some inspiration from Ken Ham this morning on doing things a bit bigger, uh, thinking outside the box, not being suppressed by those things that try to keep us down. Well, you know, uh, when you look at the culture and the way the culture is heading, we have to say to ourselves, how can we reach this secularized culture? Because there are people now increasingly so that you couldn't blow into church with a stick of dynamite, right? And how do you get the, these younger generations? When you look at the, the millennials and the post-millennials, in America, what they call the greatest generation are those born before 1928. 56% of them went to church. If you look at the millennials, only 18% uh, go to church. So we realize we're losing the coming generations from the church. And the same sorts of statistics I've seen in Australia and Canada, the United Kingdom, in the Western world. And so you look at that and say, okay, so how do we reach them with the message of God's word and the gospel? Well, we come up with the idea of, uh, I know it goes back many, many years, to, to build a creation museum and then to build a life-size ark, to build... Themed attractions, Christian-themed attractions, the quality of Disney, but you don't compromise on proclaiming the truth of God's word and the gospel. And people said it couldn't be done. There, there were people in the church that said, you're not going to get non-Christians to come. You're not going to get people to come to something if you're going to be overtly Christian. You do it in a big way, and you do it in a spectacular way, and you do it as a first-class uh, Disney quality, I'd say better than Disney and they're going to come. And God really burdened my heart to do this. And you know what's interesting? 
they flock to the Ark, the life-size Ark, and to the Creation Museum. 30% of those who come to the Ark are non-Christians. They come from all over the world. Uh, a, a few months ago, I was down at the Ark, and we see this sort of thing almost every day, but uh, on one day, there was a group of Muslims from Baghdad there was a group of Catholic nuns there, a group of Orthodox Jews. There was a group of Hindus. And then we have all sorts of people from different backgrounds, religious backgrounds, Amish, Mennonites. You would never see those sort of people together in a church. I mean, you just don't see that. But they're there at the Ark and the Creation Museum. They go through. They love the way it's presented because, I mean, this is a life-size Ark built out of, out of wood. They are amazed by the engineering and the architecture. And the exhibits are better than Disney quality, and they are challenged concerning their beliefs. And uh, many of them tell us that, hey, we've never heard this before, and this is really challenging us. It's a different way to reach the culture. And it is in your face. It's big and it's bold, and it reminds me of uh, some of those wonderful cathedrals in Europe, huge structures uh, that took, you know, generations to build, and they made a statement. They were larger than life. And those are monuments to God uh, that have survived to the present day. And still, uh, for those who will stand in front of them with a sense of awe and appreciation of the greatness of God, those become very important. But there are new monuments to God. And I'm, I'm not saying that you've built something something like an idol, but, but the, the Ark Encounter. It is huge. It is now a global icon. The world's media flocked to it, and still the world's media takes notice of it, and uh, it's photographed, and it's filmed, and it's got documentaries and all sorts of things. The message goes out, and it's like a beacon, a lighthouse on the hill. Well, you know, when we opened the ark, and I gave the speech, you know, as the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, and uh, the, the board were there. We had 8,000 people there. Uh, for the opening, and I said, when you think about Joshua, he crossed the Jordan River, and then God told him to take 12 stones as a memorial. Why? To remind generations to come of the truth of God's word. Don't let them forget. And so I came up with the idea of having our board members uh, have 12 stones, and we laid 12 stones in, in front of the ark, and it's, it's there as an exhibit now, a permanent exhibit, and I said, the ark is our 12 stones. That's what it is. It's us building 12 stones. It's an ark. But to tell the world that God's word is true and to challenge you to tell your children about the truth of God's word. And, and it's interesting, you know, um, one of the leaders in our community there in northern Kentucky, he's not a Christian, but he's one of the community leaders, took him down to the ark. And as we were walking up to him, I mean, think about this. This is the biggest timber frame structure in the world. It's 3.3 million board feet of timber. It's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field. And it's built 15 feet off the ground, but the, the roof level is seven stories from the ground and that the bow is 10 stories high. This is massive. It's a true timber frame structure built of massive timbers. And as we're walking up to it, this uh, non-Christian community leader, he, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, I didn't realize Noah's ark was so big. And then he said, maybe, maybe Noah could have fitted those animals on board. <laughs> so you see, he got it. And, yeah. and that's what happens when, when I, I love to be in the, our shuttle buses that take people on a mile ride from the parking lot. We have a 4,000 space parking lot across the valley. And as they come up the hill and you hear the kids, wow, what? It's, 
I'm sure if President Trump was there, he'd say, it's huge yeah. or something like that. <laughs> but they say it's, it's enormous. And, and, it, and the little kids get it because they're used to seeing these, you know, you know, in children's books, these bathtub arcs with giraffes sticking out the chimney about to sink at any moment. When they realize the size, it helps answer that question immediately about how could he fit all the animals on board. There was plenty of room for the representative kinds to go on board. And that's been one of the objections to people believing in, in the ark. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to build it life-size so people get, get the point. It was enormous. It was a big wooden ship. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Ken Ham is our guest. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. We'll take some calls in just a few minutes. Ken, this visit to Australia, and you're speaking at two venues in Queensland this weekend. You're going to be talking about the relevance of Genesis. Now, it's interesting because people can think about Bible stories, as we mentioned a little earlier, but actually translating an understanding of what those Bible stories mean for us today in the twenty first century sometimes is a challenge. How are you connecting uh, this relevance of Genesis to uh, the real life of today in the 21st century? Well, what I want people to really understand is that uh, Genesis is history, and it's the history that's foundational to everything we believe as Christians. And in fact, all biblical doctrines, ultimately, directly or indirectly, are founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And that history concerning creation, a perfect creation, and then the entrance of sin and death, the fall of man, and then the flood of Noah's day, and then the Tower of Babel, actually is important for us to be able to understand this world. In other words, the world we're looking at today is not the world God originally made. It's a world that suffered from the entrance of sin and death. Uh, and so we deal with that issue. How can you believe in a loving God with all this death and suffering in the world? That's one of the big issues people have. You know, you Christians believe in a loving God. Look at all the death and suffering. And here's a problem. For, for those Christians who believe in millions of years, and there are many Christians who believe in millions of years, then this death and struggle that we see today has gone on for millions of years. What I'm saying is, no, the Bible says it was a perfect world. Death is an enemy. It's an intrusion because of sin. We're not looking at the world the way God made it. We're looking at the world that suffered from the effects of our sin. That's why there's death in the world. And then the flood of Noah's day that explains why there are fossils all over the world. The fossils aren't the result of millions of years. Most of them are the graveyard of the flood. And then the Tower of Babel, that explains why there are different people groups all over the world. In other words, they're not different races. We're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. So that history is actually foundational to understanding who we are, that we're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. That means we're all sinners. Uh, that means we're all in need of the gospel. Uh, that's why God's Son stepped into history, died on a cross and be raised from the dead, offer a free gift to salvation. Um, it, it helps us understand then what we believe as Christians, uh, what, what we believe about marriage, because God instituted marriage when he made Adam and Eve, when he created Adam and Eve, the first marriage. And so it goes on. So, and, and I want to talk about the fact that today we've got a problem. We've got generations of kids that have come through our public schools, secular universities and so on. They no longer have that foundation in the Bible. And so if you're out there trying to impose a Christian worldview on them, whether it's the gospel message, whether it's talking about marriage, if they don't have the right foundation, they're not going to understand what you're talking about as Christians. And so I want to challenge people that we've got to deal with these issues foundationally. It's like building a house. You don't build a house from the roof down. You've got to build a house from the foundation up. And that's what we need to be doing as we're presenting the Christian message. Genesis is that foundation. 
And then the Bible is the, the whole foundation for all of the roof and the walls. Uh, and, and that's built on that. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a question or a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take a call. Jim is on the line from Kyabram in Victoria. Hello, Jim. Welcome along. Hey, Neil. Hey, Ken. Um, yeah, sorry. I just, once I heard that Ken was on there, I thought, oh, what a great chance for me to just uh, say thank you. Thank you for some of the teaching, some of the ones I've read, the uh, Adam's rib and the uh, how where Cain found his wife. Those teachings are incredibly. I couldn't. You couldn't get it better. It, uh, just uh, I don't know some of the other series. I need to chase it up. My mentor passed away just last year before Christmas, and he was wholehearted for you guys. He was always pushing the Creation magazine on us and sharing about you. And I've watched so many of your DVDs, but yeah, I've got to try and get more because that teaching that you have, that foundational stuff for how Cain got his wife and. Some of those other ones that he he'd given me the tracks of, they're just brilliant. They really are. Just like you said, and I'd walked with God for you know twenty years or something, and I thought I knew a bit. But when I started reading your stuff, I thought these guys, they've these scientists, they know how to, to discover that and extract things out of the ground, and they had to know how to extract and discover it out of the word. And just brilliant. Just well, brilliant. you know, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for that. And one of our theme verses is First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to give an answer. And the word answer or defense, sometimes it's translated, comes from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics. And what, you talk, what you're talking about is really our apologetics materials. That's what we emphasize, giving answers for what we believe, answers to the, to the skeptical questions people have. How do you know there's a God? How do you know the Bible's true? Where did Cain get his wife? How to explain the races? What about dinosaurs? And uh, if you want to get more of those materials, by the way, go to our website, answersingenesis.org, and you can click on the right-hand side to select Australia, and we have all those resources over here now, so you can get a lot more to help you with, uh, with those answers. But thanks for your encouragement. Thank you so much to Jim from Kyabram. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Sue in Underwood in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome along. Good day. How are you? I'm very well, Sue. What are Good your day, thoughts? Ken. How are you? I'm doing doing well, thanks. Hey, I just uh, like Jim actually. I'm just ringing up to say thank you very much for um, everything that you do uh, to be able to proclaim the truth of God's word. Um, found it really, really interesting when I went to one of the churches on the south side of Brisbane uh, a little while ago now, but uh, you were there with John Mackay. One of the main things that I got out of that was when you said the Bible is not just a book of stories, it's a historical document. Right. And, and I think that is absolutely brilliant. And I just um, I just find that uh, the way that you put your presentation through and everything, it just really helps a lot to be able to understand um, to be able to have the answers, to be able to give people. And I just think it's absolutely brilliant. But I just wanted to tell you just how impacting that was because even when I go out um, witnessing and stuff on the street, when I talk to people about the the Word of God and stuff, I say, look, these aren't just stories. These are historical documents. This is truth. And just to be able to put it across to them in that way, it just... Um, I know it did something for me when I went there too and well, listened to everything. It was awesome. Well, you know, in this day and age too, the Bible as a book of history has come under incredible attack. Uh, through the education systems, the media, 
And that's one of the reasons why we have to get out there and help people understand this this is God's revelation to us. This is real history. This really happened. And it tells you who you are and where you came from. It tells you what your problem is. It tells you what your solution is. And and I found over and over again, I, I, I know in America so many people who come to the Ark and the Creation Museum say because of those answers, we've been able to raise up our children to stand on God's word. And now they're bold in proclaiming their faith. And it's great to hear from uh, you over here in regard to that too. Thank you so much to Sue in Underwood. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Erica in Queensland. Hello, Erica. Welcome along. Hello, Ken. Erica. Welcome. Um, what are your thoughts? We got to hear Ken back in the early eighties in Spring Springvale, Melbourne. That's when I had brown hair. <laughs> that's, like mil- that's like millions of years ago. You've, you've gone yes. blonde since then. Well, back then it was all slides, not slides, overhead. Oh, overhead transparencies. Those were the days, yeah. <laughs> and I remember the whole weekend, all I remember, and I still remember it, is you said the bottom line is this. You either believe in something fanciful that can't be supported like the theory of evolution or you believe that God created the world, but then you're challenged with what are you going to, how are you going to respond to God? And so we, um, since then, subscribe to um, the materials available, www.creation.com, and really are glad to have all that material available to us. So, Well, well if you want to um, get hold of all of our new resources, we have incredible resources available. If you go to AnswersInGenesis.org, uh, you can see them there, and uh, just incredible materials that are now uh, available. The Lord has um, certainly uh, done some wonderful things. We actually have a four-year Bible curriculum now. Uh, it's used by 10,000 churches in America. And uh, all of our apologetics materials that are used in homeschool and Christian school and used in uh, churches and, and, and across the world, we have them translated into many, many languages. So the ministry has certainly grown in a massive way. Erica from Queensland, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316. I mentioned in the introduction, Ken, uh, there's something like 60 books now that you have written. Uh, Just a few minutes out from the news, but uh, one of your very latest brand new books uh, onto the bookshelves is entitled One Blood for Kids. Uh, what the Bible says about race, because uh, when we talk about uh, some of the controversial issues, sometimes this one that, uh, you know, where did all the races come from? Uh, this one comes up. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, how do you describe your new book? Hey, by the way, I, I gave you that, and you're one of the first people in Australia to get it, because it only came out last week, and we bought it across on the plane with us. I'm so absolutely I've, privileged. I've only given it to a few people. <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, it's a book that helps kids understand that we actually we're all one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. There aren't any different races. In fact, when the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome in the year 2000, they said, guess what we found? There's only one race. Well, of course. And we help kids understand we're all the same uh, skin color. Uh, There's no black people. There's no white people. We're actually all brown. And uh, we have a pigment called melanin that's produced in our skin and depends upon how much or how little you have. But it's really to help them understand. Actually, I go through what I call the seven races, you know, the created race, the fallen race. Uh, that then the rescued race by, by Noah's Ark, and then the divided race, Tower of Babel, and uh, go through the lost race, the lamb's race. Uh, but to help them understand that we're all one race, but we all have a problem called sin, 
and we all need the same solution, Jesus Christ. And we're all equal before God. And it really helps uh, children and mums and dads understand how to deal with racism, how to deal with with prejudice. I, I got really interested in this when I was first a public school teacher and taught the kids about uh, the Tower of Babel. And the Aboriginal kids in the class came up to me, and this was in Dolby, Queensland, and they said, Sir, tell us more. And I realized because Darwin actually teaches in his book, The Descent of Man, the Aborigines were the missing links. They're closer to the apes. And for them to understand, no, you're my family. You're, you're part of, you're, you're, you're related to me. We're all one. We're all one race. It meant a lot to them. And I've always had a burden to deal with this issue. In fact, this is a children's book, but it's pitched to, to parents because you're you're talking about cultural buzzwords and you're mm. talking about political correctness. And even when you raise this whole issue with Australian Aborigines, well, uh, you know what? Australian Aborigines have a lot to thank the Christian understanding of where we have come from by by reason of God's creation, uh, because uh, otherwise there would be a, a dramatic, a different turn that would have happened in Australian society. But this one is called One Blood for Kids, What the Bible Says About Race. And when you talk, talk to kids about this sort of thing, Ken, uh, it's important because there are political debates that are going on that children need to be given a good foundation so that they understand what they're growing up into. Oh, they do. In fact, we have, uh, you know, like a, a vacation Bible curriculum uh, that we produce in America. It's used by thousands and thousands of churches. And the one for next year is all on the race issue based on that book and the content of that book. And we already trialed it this year. And the kids love it. We even have them make um, uh, bickies and they have food coloring, the same food coloring, and make them darker and lighter to help them understand we're all the one color and things like this. And they love the fact that, that the gospel is for every tribe, tongue, nation, that we're all related, we're all family, we're all one race. And to see all the different skin shades and ethnic groups and these kids enjoying it just makes a big difference to them. Ken, let me talk about uh, this idea of doing things big. Because you've got uh, 60 or odd books that you've written, and one of your latest ones is called Gospel Reset. And it's not just going to sit on the bookshelf in your bookstore at the Ark Encounter. Uh, you have got a big plan for what's about to happen with this book, Gospel Reset. Uh, what are you intending to do? Well, you know, that particular book actually is talking about how to take the gospel to a secularized culture. Uh, because I'm uh, saying that our culture is more like an Acts 17 culture, a Greek culture, not an Acts 2 culture. And most of our churches tend to approach it like an Acts 2 culture. And so it really challenges people about the fact that the culture has changed, the gospel hasn't, that we need to change the method by which we take the gospel to the culture. And uh, it's it's beautifully done as a little, like a little gift book, and uh, it's easy to read. Well, uh, in America recently, there was um, someone called us up, one of our supporters, and said, I just saw your talk on the relevance of Genesis at church. The pastor showed it, and he said, we need to impact the church in a, in a big way. How can we do that? And came up with the idea, why don't we send a flyer to advertise the Ark and the Creation Museum and send the book, Gospel Reset, to, he said, every church in America. Okay, let's let's just reflect on this for just a moment because uh, in Australia, I think there are estimates around about 15,000-odd churches mm -hmm. uh, throughout the nation. I'm not sure of the uh, accuracy of that figure precisely, but it's around about that figure, 15,000 in Australia. How many churches are there in the United States? Well, the mailing list we're able to obtain for, for this mailing that the supporter went and raised funds from other supporters for this, 266,000. And then I said... Okay, I'm from Australia. 
would you be prepared to fund mailing it to every church in Australia? And they said, okay. And New Zealand, okay. And Canada, okay. And the United Kingdom. And that's what's going to happen. So well over 300,000 copies of that book and a flyer to advertise the Ark and the Creation Museum are being sent. And, and, and they're sent in plastic so that you can actually see the book through, uh, through the plastic as it comes in the mail, uh, to every church that we could get an address for in those countries. So America, uh, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. So well over 300,000. So I don't think anyone's ever done something like that before, but, uh, we do like to do things in big ways and wanted to impact the, the church in, in a big way. And these supporters uh, said they would fund it, and that's what they're doing. Well, it's good to have a big vision. And the idea of having a big vision is that God is going to meet the needs to fulfill that vision when that, of course, is uh, according to his will and purpose. So uh, you've clearly, in building the Ark Encounter, a global icon, it brings out of the woodwork, in some sense, people who say, well, here is a big vision. I wonder what other big things we can do. And now this ambitious plan to send a book, a Gospel Reset, a Salvation Made Relevant, a taking this Christianity, this message of the gospel to a secularized culture, 300,000 churches on the mailing, and they're going to receive a copy of this book. Of course, it's going to have a flyer for the Ark Encounter as well. Uh, which is which is drawing attention to this icon, which draws attention to God as creator. So, But the idea of doing things big here, Ken, uh, one big thing leads to another big thing. This is why it's so inspirational to be able to talk to you about doing things bigger. Well, you know, the, the Bible says in Jude to contend for the faith. And to me, that doesn't mean you just sit back and just go to church on the weekend or whatever. It means we need to be out there and in the battle, you know. Uh, think about the parable of the ten minas when the nobleman entrusted resources to his servants and said, I'm going to go away, so what What do you do in the meantime? Engage in business till I come. I mean, I, I've had so many Christians that say to me, oh, it's so depressing to see what's happening out there in the world. It's almost, we just need to wait for Jesus to come soon. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what he said to do? Engage in business. You know what that means? Proclaim the gospel, make disciples, contend for the faith, give answers. And to me, it's always, what can we do next to reach more people? Because if we're really on about the most important message in the entire universe, which we are, then we should be doing our utmost to get it to the largest number of people that we can. And uh, so that's why we're always willing to to step out in faith. You know, th- these are all faith steps, every one of them. But the scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he comes to him, must believe that he is his rewarder of those that seek him. There's, there's always that, that faith aspect. Now, I know in the secular world, they call it risk-taking, right? Uh, but in the, in the Christian world, it's stepping out in faith, knowing that God has called you to do something, but being willing to take that challenge and do big things for the Lord. And I, I know I, I meet a lot of young people at the Ark and the Creation Museum who actually tell me, you inspire me to do things. The fact that we've now got the Ark and the Creation Museum, we need to do big things for the Lord. And I, I love that because that's what we want to see, a younger generation being inspired to do big things for the Lord. We have the message for the for the world, and we've got to get it out there. Mostly we're happy to scratch around in our own little patch. And, of course, the imagery comes uh, of chickens in the chicken pen. 
but this idea of getting outside of the chicken coop and uh, into the air soaring like an eagle, uh, well, that sometimes takes a little bit of an extra challenge, a, cor- a courageous step to to manoeuvre from being the chicken scratching around to actually being the eagle soaring uh, high in the sky. I mean, the, you know, the, uh, the, the one who rules the skies. And there is a sense when you say we are the ones with the message, sometimes I get the feeling that maybe we aren't taking the message so much to heart, recognising the value of this treasure that we have. I know that when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he described it like a treasure in the field mm-hmm. uh, or the pearl of great price. So, you know, sell everything and go and buy that block of land because that's where the treasure is. And uh, you've taken that to heart and the encouragement, the inspiration to go on to do bigger things. Big is very, very important. And I wonder what... Uh, uh, inspiration you might have for Australians doing something big in their local community because I know you've got some plans uh, to do some uh, other expansion moves too other than the Ark Encounter and the uh, the museum. Uh, what sort of inspiration for doing something big in your own uh, hometown, in your own suburb? What what can you encourage us with, Ken? Well, you know, I, th- I think one of the things, you know, from our perspective as a ministry and, uh, you know, we have lots of resources for people to equip them because people feel inadequate is what I find. I, I want people to understand that, that this ministry, all the resources we have, you know, I mentioned you can obtain them from answersandgenesis.org, but all those resources for kids, for adults and others to equip them, I see our ministry, it's, it's, for, it's for, the, for the church. That's who it's for. The Ark, the Creation Museum, is for the church. Look, we provide all of this material, but I can't go out there and reach every person. Um, it, it's impossible. But if we provide these resources then you can go out there and, and reach people. And, and just think of it. If every single person out there who's a Christian went out and used resources to win one person to the Lord, wouldn't be long and they'll be fighting over the non-Christians, right? This one's mine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think so many people, you're right, they just scratch around in their own little backyard, so to speak, and we just go to church on the weekend and so on. Wait a minute. Look at all the lost people out there. You know, I was, the other uh, day I was down at um, Burley Heads. And there are people who are in, in interesting stages of um, dress and not so much dress, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, I saw an interesting wedding also. It's not the wedding I would support uh, going on. And there was another wedding there. And I was thinking of the verse in Scripture, you know, the, uh, about the fact that before the flood they were giving in marriage and so on. And suddenly the flood came. And I was looking at all these people and realizing in Australia probably – Probably what truly born again Christians, one percent of the population is very small anyway. And I was looking at all these people, realizing most of them are going to a Christless eternity. What can we do to reach them? But you know, for me, the Lord's burdened us to hey, build these theme parks, uh, these Christian themed attractions, and provide all these resources. But now it's up to God's people to use that. Go out there, get hold of these resources, be equipped. Learn how to answer questions and start challenging your neighbors. Start challenging your friends, even in your own church. Offer to start teaching groups. We need to teach answers. I think what's happened today, people are so intimidated because they don't have answers. Remember one of the first callers, he said, what a difference it made having those answers. Well, those answers are available. I challenge people to get hold of them and start communicating them to their neighbors, to their friends and uh, in their church and wherever they can. And I imagine that having an answer to one question, uh, well-defined and able to articulate that, 
uh, is the starting point. Just start something simple and then just add to that. And before you know it, uh, you're like Ken Ham and you've got answers for everything. Well, uh, well you know, our, our biggest selling apologetics books are the answers books. And we've got five of them and they have 160 of the most asked questions. And uh, the more people get hold of those and get those answers, it makes a big difference. The other thing is they can invite our full-time speaker here, Josh Williamson. Come to, come to your town and do a conference. Come and, and go to your church and bring all these resources. And you could sponsor a conference. There's another way uh, that you can say, well, I can't speak and I don't really know those answers. Well, invite us in to do it. We'll come and do it. And Josh Williamson, an outstanding preacher and speaker, and no doubt uh, there are those who will remember a number of occasions we've spoken to Josh. Uh, look forward to that opportunity once again sometime soon, but you can, as Ken says, book him for a conference. Uh, let's talk about some of the questions that people have been coming up on uh, on our Facebook page and perhaps some quick responses to some of these okay. if we can. Uh, Facebook question from Mike who said, there's been claims that Noah's Ark has been located in Turkey. Is this correct? We would say no. In fact, uh, the Bible says it landed on the mountains of Ararat, not Mount Ararat. And the Mount Ararat has actually been built up by volcanic action. So even if the ark was there, it would have been destroyed. But we suspect it didn't even land on that mountain. And and as far as we know, no one's found the remains of uh, Noah's Ark. In fact, you don't need to go look for it. We rebuilt it in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> you can see photos of it on the internet. Uh, okay, a Facebook question from Jason, who says, firstly, if the creation was made perfect without death, how do we explain the presence of carnivores, fungi, parasites, etc., uh, who appear to be built to cause breakdown, destruction, and death. Well, um, first of all, we have to define what we mean by death. You know, there, there's a Hebrew word, nephesh, uh, that refers to life spirit that animals have but plants don't have. And uh, so when you see fungi recycling uh, nutrients from plants and so on, that's, that's not death. That's not death in the biblical sense. And uh, so it was the nephesh death that came as a result of uh, the fall. You know, the Bible defines life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's why Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins because we forfeit our right to live in Adam. So there has to be the giving of life, the shedding of blood to pay the penalty uh, for sin. What, we, what we've got to understand is we're living in a fallen world. We're not living in a perfect world. In a perfect world where uh, God holds everything together perfectly, there was no nephesh death. Uh, the, the, there, there were certainly um, d- what we would describe as decay, but it's just recycling of nutrients from plants. But plants aren't alive, as I said, in the sense that animals are. Another question. How did unique animals get to secluded continents after the flood? Uh, for example, Australia has many unique animals not found anywhere else. How do we explain none of those uh, those other animals appearing anywhere else in the world? Well, you know, when people say how the kangaroos get to Australia, I say they hopped, right? Uh, <laughs> um, people have the idea that um, marsupials only exist in Australia. You know there's a marsupial in North America. It's called the opossum. It's an ugly-looking thing, but it is a marsupial. Um, uh, after the flood, see, Noah's Ark landed in the Middle East, uh, somewhere there in the Middle East, the mountains of Ararat. As the animals came out of the ark, uh, you, what's going to happen is they're going to move further and further away from each other. Now, at the same time, we believe Noah's flood actually generated an ice age. What would that do? Well, the ice age built up within 500 years of the flood because of uh, warm oceans and cool land. You have a lot of evaporation, all the dust in the atmosphere from volcanic eruptions and so on. 
there would be land bridges all over the world. In fact, oceans would be lower by about 130 feet or more. And so as animals moved away from each other, started to move out to other places, uh, one of the things, just real quickly, we would say is, for instance, marsupials can move far more quickly than placental mammals because marsupials can carry the young in the pouch, whereas placentals have to wait until they uh, mature somewhat. And so they would get pushed further and further out, don't compete well with placentals, get to Australia, Australia gets cut off, they survive in Australia but die out elsewhere. See, pe- people have this idea if you don't find fossils of animals somewhere, then they didn't live there, but that's not true. Uh, if you think of the millions of buffaloes on the prairies in America that were killed, but you don't find their fossils because they decay. Fossilization is a unique event. So just because you don't find a fossil of an animal somewhere doesn't mean it didn't live there. You can come up with models that explain that. And remember, people also built boats and they took animals with them on those boats, like when they brought the rabbit to Australia and it caused all those problems and things like that as well. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life culture and current events. Just a few minutes remaining in our conversation. Ken Ham is our guest. You might have seen images of the Ark Encounter, the life-size reconstruction model of Noah's Ark. And we've been talking about doing things big. And one of the other big projects, of course, is the sending of one of Ken's latest books called Gospel Reset to as many as 300,000 churches around the world, helping those leaders in churches negotiate how to bring the message of the gospel in a secularized culture. Uh, just these few minutes left, uh, come back to these resources for a few moments, Ken, because resources are a key here. Uh, if there are good resources available and we don't avail ourselves of those, uh, then we're missing out on a level of stewardship that we need to have in being able to bring these values to our own children and to our communities. Uh, the, the number of resources that you have available is really significant, and there'll be rarely a question that people would have that can't be answered today? Well, you know what? We have hundreds and hundreds of resources, and uh, we do have them available in Australia now. People have been asking this for quite a long time. We actually have a bookstore. My my, uh, brother uh, has a construction company not far from where we are today, actually, and he turned his lunchroom in their building into a a bookstore. So all of our creation apologetics materials are available here in Brisbane, um, and people can find information about that on our website at answersandgenesis.org. Uh, and if they go to our website, uh, they can go to answersandgenesis.org and choose Australia and go to the store and you'll see all the materials you can get. Although there is a, you can, if you wanted a direct link, it's answersandgenesis.com.au and you can go uh, straight to the store. But I encourage people to get equipped. One of the problems we got, if we don't have answers, the non-Christians think, oh, see, you, know, you can't answer that question and See, that, that means you can't trust the Bible. That's why I believe there's been a lack of teaching of apologetics in many of our Christian homes and churches. And what we're doing is providing these apologetics materials so that people can use apologetics to point people to the truth of God's word to present the gospel. A quick word, because we've run out of time, but this idea that when you have a resource and when you've enjoyed reading a response and understanding how to answer the questions that you've held deeply in your own heart, your confidence rises 
to be able to share the gospel with others. This issue of confidence is very powerful when it comes to actually having good resources. Oh, it certainly is. And I've had people tell me that over and over again. They've said they felt so intimidated by the world and by what they were taught and by scientists and that. And when they have answers, they get excited. And, you know, really, the answers aren't that um, difficult to understand. People don't have to be a PhD scientist to be able to talk about genetics, to be able to talk about the race issue or talk about dinosaurs or fossils. They don't have to be a PhD in geology. There are simple answers you can give. And what I find is non-Christians, most of them have no idea why they believe what they do. They just regurgitate what they were taught at school or heard somewhere. You get equipped with answers. You'll run rings around them, and you'll be able to be an incredible witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me say the website where you can access these resources, I'll give one website, of course, Answers in Genesis, as we've heard of a number of websites. But if you go to answersingenesis.org and select Australia, uh, you'll be able to choose Australia and you'll be able to have access to those resources available now in Australia and also where you can see Ken Ham speak this weekend. Uh, This weekend, he's on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, addressing a free live Answers in Genesis event at Life Point Baptist Church in North Budrum, and on Sunday nights at Grace Bible Church in Holland Park in Brisbane. Uh, Ken Ham, just great getting your uh, insights and updates, and uh, it seems to be about a once a year opportunity when you drop in uh, to see family and you're from uh, the southeast Queensland area, and uh, we'll always enjoy having another opportunity to have you face-to-face in the studio. Thank you so much for making time to share your thought and your heart with us today here on 2020. Hey, thanks, Neil, and I look forward to you interviewing me at The Ark. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.